Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk, baby. Well, guys, this might be what well, we did Mank, which was a bit we know is going to be a big qualifier for Best Picture. But now we got another one, Nomadland, which some have said is going to be the front runner for Best Picture. You know, at the Oscars, but maybe at the Fixies. So we're going to discuss that film directed by Chloe Zhao and... Um, that's all we're talking about. We're going to talk about when the Fixies are. Oh, okay. We're going to announce to the yeah. world. We're going to announce to the world. You are one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. I know. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just... Houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Welcome to Badlands Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. Hey, Fern! Gotta make the hole bigger. <laughs> I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh! He's gonna come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. Um, okay, guys. So, I've been reading a lot of articles about Nomadland. And I'd like to ask you guys a question, but I want you to stay focused. I don't want you to touch on Nomadland yet. I want you to sort of think about it a little bit. Uh, think about my question outside of Nomadland. And, and that is, um, I've heard Chloe Zhao's style described as new naturalism. And for those of you who don't know, if you've watched Nomadland, um, Chloe Zhao is a unique way of uh, storytelling. She doesn't write a screenplay just sort of out of thin air. She'll go meet real people, get to know them, uh, and then sort of write a screenplay based on them. We know this from the writer, uh, the writer that you guys both watched. Uh, was that last year or maybe that was two years ago? Two years ago, um, Fixie nominee. Yep. And then they often play themselves. Um, and so in Nomadland, it's a little bit different because we've got the starring role of, of course, uh, of um, Francis McDormand. But uh, there's a lot of real actors in this film. There's a lot of um, sort of uh, improvised dialogue. I think even the even the um, the plot of the movie, for the most part, was improvised. Now, so put that aside just for a second. Now, you guys, and, and I'm this way too, but I think you guys are even more so, are lovers together of each other. Yeah, period. Yeah. Uh, but also <laughs> lovers of great dialogue, great scripts. Jeremy, you in particular structure. You're kind of old school that way. You know, we, we have a an appreciation for that craft, that part of it, creating a film, you know, with words and, you know, even the traditional performances. Like we, I think at the three of us, we like actors who act, actors who act good to uh, steal a phrase from Lee, brilliantly <laughs> eloquent. Um <laughs> But this style, this new naturalism, which um, the, the, the magazine that I'm reading, American Cinematographer, um, sort of was f- kind of created by Terrence Malick and, and uh, Chloe Zhao and her partner, who is the cinematographer of this film, referenced the, uh, Malick and uh, Chiva Lebeski's style from Tree of Life and The New World as a hugely influential. Um, I think... It's a style we've seen before. And I'm wondering, again, divorced from Nomadland, what you guys are, what are your thoughts of that? How do you feel about people putting aside these things that we have such respect for, this craft that we have such respect for? Lee? I, in general, like on the surface, I don't like the idea of it. Mm. I, I really have been against the whole idea, which seems to have calmed down maybe this past year, but seemed to be on the rise of, casting the real people in the roles you know i i always think that that's a strange choice to make you have trained professional actors whose job it is to to portray a character and you're hiring people who aren't accustomed or trained to be on camera to do that and to try to reenact something that happened in their own life i just don't think that that's a 
really effective way to convey a story. Um, so that aspect of what Chloe Zhao does in in I think all of her movies so far, God, I is said, something talk I'm about her. Not a huge fan of. Um, you you weren't you weren't a fan of that in the writer? Is that what you're saying? No. I, I'm not a huge fan of that. the idea of that. Okay. I was amazed at what she did with that in The Rider. I nominated her for a Fixie for Best Director because she was incredibly capable of, of bringing good performances from these people, playing themselves, reenacting something that happened in their own life. So, But that was sort of an, an exception to the rule at that point. And then the other aspect that you're talking about in terms of kind of the screenplayless storytelling... You know, I have less of a problem with that. There's been variations of that in the past. There's the mumblecore thing where it's just kind of like you get a basis of a scene and then improvise your way through it, and and that can work. And we've heard, you know, we talked about that with Judd Apatow a lot. That you know, his he has his screenplay, but his scenes <clears throat> are really not set in stone. So I'm less against that, but it's a risky proposition, and in the hands of anybody. Uh, in the hands of a lot of people, that could just go 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 bad real fast. Yeah, so if we're going to simplify, which I think is a good way to talk about this, if we're going to simplify filmmaking into sort of a three-prong theory of acting, directing, and screenwriting, those three prongs have to sort of work together seamlessly. There can't be one that's that's doing one thing while another's doing another thing. And what I mean by that is you can't have a traditional, conventional narrative and then think it's a great idea to throw non-actors into the role. Right, so right. if you get like a movie like um, that Clint Eastwood movie that he 15, did. 1517 to Paris. Yeah, oh. where he, he – yeah, <laughs> where you have – a traditional director, you have a traditional sort of screenplay, but the catch there is that you're throwing these real people into that world, and it's never going to work. It's going to be off kilter, and it's going to be weird. And it's I don't be think bad. It, and that's well, the perfect it, example. Because it's just not going to. It's not going to work. Is so bad, yeah. But if you can somehow keep those three prongs equal then I think it can work for you. And what I mean by that is if the director figures out a way to maneuver their camera and tell a story in in the same way that those actors, actors, quote-unquote, those real-life people, are, are performing, and then within that sort of feel out some sort of screenplay or some sort of story as you go along... It can work, but that seems extremely difficult to me. Yeah, it's a narrow, narrow hole. It's to a, it yeah. really is. So yeah. it's not it's it's not out of no respect to what we really appreciated about filmmaking, because I think I think having that structure and having those rules and having a director that knows what they're doing and then having a great screenplay and then taking that and then bringing in some amazing actors like that. That is to us that's that's perfection. But I think if you get those three prongs still working together, um, in a way that they're all sort of dancing and improvising and figuring it out the material as they go along, I think you can do it. Actually, I know you can do it. I'm I've I've been witness to it, um, and I just think. You don't know what you're going to get beforehand, and it could be. It, it seems like a very. Mm -hmm. It makes me anxious to think about do, like doing <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean it can't work, and it doesn't mean I'm sort of against it, even being the traditionalist I am. So I, I mentioned to Jeremy. I don't know if you got a chance to watch it yet or not, but I mentioned "Sorry We Missed You," which is a Ken Loach film um, that came out this year or last year, I think, right, Lee, or was it was it actually 2019? Oh. It's this year. It's, okay. it's on the fixie list. Yeah. Um, and and that film kind of, I mean, it, it deals with sort of similar things in a way. I mean, there's sort of like the, it, there's sort of Nomadland and, and Sorry We Missed You are both kind of about these, you know, this sort of 
lower echelon of of people in society who kind of do these gig jobs and how that affects them and they're very different movies but that film also features real actors and i think ultimately that movie works and the the use of real actors works but it's a totally different real actors or real people i'm sorry real i think i think they're real people but in in the, the distinction i think is that they are acting as they're not necessarily acting as themselves, but they are acting gotcha. like as they're just sort of amateur, I think. Whereas sure. I think yep. in Nomadland, most everybody, with the exception of David Straheran and Francis McDormand, are playing real versions of themselves. And they're essentially mm-hmm. speaking as they are using their you know, their real voices and their real names for the most part. But in in Sorry We Missed You it's like, oh, these are amateurs. And you can, I think, like, if you if you looked at a, a YouTube clip, for example, of Sorry We Missed You, um, you'd probably look at it and be like, oh, this isn't good because this acting is bad. But somehow that works um, in the long run, I think. Um, but I think it, it is extraordinarily effective in Nomadland. Um, it's just, like you just feel so connected with what's happening in these scenes. And, you know, we, we know of course that Frances McDormand is not a, you know, vagabond living in a van, although she may have done that for a little bit as research during this movie. But, um, I mean, you really, you know, they're in real places. They're in an Amazon warehouse, a real Amazon warehouse. They're in, Wall Drug in South Dakota. They're in these places that people know, and they're also in places that we don't know, these beautiful locations, and they're talking to real people who who seem like they do this as a lifestyle. And I think it's just, it's it's weirdly just like very, very moving, despite all, because I agree with you guys about all that other stuff. It's like this, this isn't really filmmaking as we know it, really. Well, I think I think the way she makes it so effective is because she doesn't force anything onto these people, these right. actors. So if the scene is what they come up with, the scene isn't her saying, hey, we need to get this beat or we need to get here or we need to get there. She does have, unlike the rider, she does have a tool in her kit this time that in Frances McDormand, where she can utilize her ability to get what she needs in certain scenes and certain beats. But if she ever were to try to force that upon, I think, any of those other uh, characters or actors, I think it, then you start feeling it, it, it being forced and, and unnatural. And that's where I think it wouldn't work. And the reason you're like, it just is so sort of... Um, yeah, I guess natural is because she's able to work within those realms. Again, it's keeping those three prongs relatively uh, even. Well, you're shaking your head. No, no, no. I'm I'm sort of just thinking out loud, and I I agree with Jeremy that it's just that tool to have just you know one of the best working actresses out there to handle that little task is yeah, is but, really convenient. I mean, she is, but like her last the film she won an Oscar for, I would not be like, oh, this is the woman I want in my like new nouveau naturalistic movie. Like I didn't, right, I but mean, she's done I, a lot of different things yeah, since then. she has, I mean, but she's someone I, I, I naturally think of being kind of, you know, I think of Marge Genderson, you know? Right. It's a big, <laughs> yeah. it's a big performance and she, she, yeah, she's, yes. she plays pretty big and, and this is much more subtle. Yes. Well, the thing the thing that Frances McDormand had to do that's like nearly impossible is she also couldn't uh, she couldn't tip the scales of that last acting prong against who she's she has to be she has to act like she doesn't know how to act to be in those in those scenes with other people. Mm-hmm. And I think where you you see it not really work is um, when uh, David uh, how do you say it straight. Straight I thought it was Straheron. All right. Well, no, he's a good actor. Actually knows. Yeah. He's a good actor, but he—you could tell he was an actor, and then that sort of took you out of those moments a little bit because mm. you have an actor doing what they do and what they would naturally work in any other film, but doesn't necessarily work here. Um, and you could see it. And what Francis McDormand did so brilliantly and amazingly is just sort of blend into the the non-actor world of it. 
Yeah, she blends in completely. I think you're underselling Strathan performance, but we don't have to get into that now. Um, yeah, Chapin, I'm glad you brought up Malik because I wrote down, <laughs> this is the Malik movie I've always been waiting for. Like, it's just, it, it captures all of the things that Malik tries to capture and then adds a plot to a certain extent. But yeah. also, it just, it it finds a way for you to, to connect so intimately with all of the characters, something that comes and goes in Malick movies. Like, for better or worse, like, you can't always really find a connection with a character. And here you do so much, and it's just, it's it's stunning. It is just such a beautiful movie. Like, I, I and it became more moving as it went on, and even more so in the day, the two days that have followed since I watched it. And a lot of that has to do with exactly what you brought up at the beginning, this like this departure from conventional filmmaking, something that, you know, we have we have, you know, called kind of Malick's style of filmmaking, his own genre, his own style, whatever you want to say, that we have mixed feelings about because of all the in-betweens that are either missing or confusing or whatever. And this there's there's just there was nothing missing. Like I just found a connection with nearly every single beat this movie had that I, I sort of was just marveling at the work she did here. And it's, it's a, you know, it's a step up from the writer, but it's not a surprising step because she mm. did similar things with, with that, that movie. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree, Lee. And there's like, in you saying all that, I also want to propose the question to you guys. Like, there's uh, t- two parts of this question. I want to talk about the Americanism of this movie, and also what is this movie about to you? Because a lot of times, the the wandering of a Malick movie, the the um, constant movement, and it it sometimes feels like he doesn't know what it's about, and and it's hard to get a grasp onto those characters you're talking about because it doesn't give itself a beat. And I don't think this movie is like that at all, but I also couldn't entirely tell you what it, what it is about, but I know it is quintessentially American and there's a lure of this sort of storytelling that is quintessential, quintessentially American. And I'm curious where you guys fall in that and what you think about it well i like i'll tell you i i think that this movie is very much open to interpretation so it'll be interesting to hear um where we all fall on this but like sort of if you want to point at something and like say this is what this movie was about what i really appreciated and what i thought kind of spoke to me was the 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 lack of judgment that she showed towards anything in this movie now, we, we essentially watch McDormand journey through a, about a year's time traveling around kind of the, the Midwest and the West um, of, of the United States, working different gig jobs, staying in different, like, either campgrounds, parking lots, whatever, living in her van. She meets all sorts of different types of people that, in many cases, you know, based on different life circumstances, are doing the same thing as she is, by choice, you know, in in a in a way they're forced to it. She is in a way forced into that environment. Her the town she lives in closes the factory and essentially um, discontinues the zip code, and you know, and she's gone. But we see her meet her sister at one point, who offers for her to stay there. So she has other options. But when we're watching that scene, I didn't find the movie to be any more judgmental about her sister's type of living than about the nomads. And I didn't find her to be any more judgmental about when David Strahan's character um, finally settles down at, at his family's house. And you saw these different ways of life and they all kind of looked nice in their own way. And, you know, we all can imagine like hitting the road and just like living, you know, minimalistically. And like, there's an appeal to that. But there's also an appeal to having a nice house and, like, nice things. And there's also an appeal to, like, a big farmhouse kind of out in the country where you have, like, comfortable shelter but nobody around you. And I I just loved that this movie explored all these different ways that people live across America 
very, very subtly, but just never judging it and, and giving you a glimpse at all those different things. Yeah, I, I was... So, I think, Lee, you came up with a term when we were doing pieces of a woman misery porn. And I think there's got to be a new term. I think that I did. Ger- oh, I was it I, Jeremy? I mean, that, that sounds like a Jeremy term. A new, a new term that's poverty porn. Um, and I feel like there's a couple of movies that are the victim of that. Yes, Lee? We're, we're into such cool shit. It's just, it's just, um, but you know, like a movie like, yeah, sorry, sorry, you. we missed you. And even, you know, um, uh, never rarely, sometimes always like, I would just say like those movies, just like everything goes wrong for these people, right? Because they're poor, because they have no resources. Every bad anecdote you've heard about what it's like to be poor happens in these movies. And that's not to take away anything from those films. I think, you know, that's kind of, that's the point. Right. But, um, and I was like, Oh God, is this going to be what this movie is? And it, it really, it, it wasn't at all. I mean, you, you, you feel badly for her in a way, but she, uh, you know, she's sort of forced into this lifestyle. But I think, I think if I had to break it down to one word, it's, I think the movie is about adaptation. You know, like wherever she mm-hmm. goes, she's she finds a way to fit in. She finds resources. She's resourceful. These other people are quite resourceful. They're, you know, they they meet together and they have like a free exchange. And there's there's, you know, they have to go and they have to work at these little places and they dot around the country and they're just able to adapt to this lifestyle. And that isn't to say that like, um, you know, that poverty and 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 isn't a problem in America. I think you that. We've they've established that at the beginning, like this, this, the, you know, the, I think the just the existence of Francis McDormand's character is um, proof positive that this film recognizes this as a political issue. But like, you know, they they rely on Amazon as a big as as a resource and um, like like you, and it's Lee, not even judgy of Amazon. And it's That's not. Amazing yeah, part. it's not judgy of Amazon. Whereas, you know, that sorry, we missed you. I I. I is is essentially i mean they don't it's not they don't use amazon but it's essentially like an indictment of everything amazon does and you watch that film and you never want to order anything from prime ever again whereas this movie made me think like you know i think i rented it on prime (laughs) (laughs) no it's criterion it's criterion yeah (laughs) Um, whereas this movie makes makes me feel like you know maybe i won't buy boycott amazon because you know i I like that these people get get the get but it's also You know, in these in these films, like if if I have one critique of, um, you know, sorry we missed you is like the the people had like no agency. They're just at the at the whim of their of their circumstances. Whereas these people, like, they embrace it in a weird way. Like they 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 like they kind of enjoy working this way, and they like and and you you even meet people when they rendezvous um, with this big nomad gathering in the desert which i imagine is a real thing these people who quit their you know what i would assume is well-paying office jobs because they just they didn't want to die with their sailboat in their um in their driveway yeah um yeah and i think i think that goes back to i guess my question of the americanism of this movie because that concept and you can agree with it or disagree with it but it's so ingrained in us that absolutely uh, of just like we're in control of our own destinies like whether you're rich or poor you can you can try and and this is sort of a group of people that yes they may just take these jobs briefly but they're saying no i i want to live this life this uh, this life that is very quintessential like old-timey western i mean it's what we love about old western movies like the the lonely cowboy out in the west just doing whatever he or she probably he back in the day the wants with with their life and and nobody really can tell them what to do and and that definitely appeals it, it appeals to me at least it appeals to both of us this was this could have been our future if it wasn't for uh our pesky wives and children get in the way of i mean when lee and i were kids we literally dreamed of getting an rv and going to all our uh professional sports games together across the country ones we were uh, playing in ones we were playing in obviously because that's how we were in the same cities yeah we were gonna pay for it (laughs) and go from campground to campground 
and 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 live a, a nomadic life. Um, and it didn't seem weird at all because it is such a weirdly American concept and idea. And this movie, like you said, Lee, it doesn't judge that. And of course, there are things to be said about poverty and getting st- stuck in poverty and and not being in, really in control of your circumstances and that Amazon really is in control of all of us and Apple and Facebook. and, um, But, you know, but it's, it's, it's refreshing to see it's, this. It's such a smart decision of her to not... As soon as she takes a stance on, on Amazon, now, now she's under the pressure to take a stance on why these people are below the poverty line, why they were forced out of Empire Nevada, why that factory... Clo- now it's a political film, and it doesn't dare go there. It's not about that. It's an exploration. I love a movie... I love when a movie is is bold enough to just be an exploration. I was reminded a little bit of kind of the thoughts I had while I was watching Boyhood for the first time. You know, very different type of movie in many ways, but I kept going scene by scene through boyhood and expecting just like this big like lint pin plot point bad thing to happen and that it just didn't because it was just kind of a slice of life and it was just exploring what it was like to be a 10 year old and a 15 year old and a 17 year old and here it's something similar and i felt the same like i kept thinking i was just like is something bad gonna happen here is is somebody gonna rob her is like the worst couple things is like her 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 van breaks down at one point. Right, but there's always um, somebody to help her. Like that was, I think, what was shot. What was sort of interesting is there was always a resource for her. Like exactly, you were sort of moved by how how helpful people were and how generous they were. And and we just don't expect that. Definitely not in our movies because a movie needs a conflict. And we've even gotten to the point where we don't expect that in real life, which is just a sad state of affairs now. But. You know, you you get to this scene at one point where she's sort of wandering around in the Badlands, and you think maybe she lost for a second. Is is that where this movie is going? But I, at by that point, I was like, no, she's gonna be fine. She's she knows, like she'll be fine. And then David Strahan waved to her, and it's just an it's just another piece of her kind of just exploring that area as we explore this this life in this world and the idea of exploration in a film is something that I think Malick strives for. I think a lot of filmmakers try to dabble in while telling their story, but it's a side piece. And Chloe Zhao just managed to blend the two things so perfectly and just by by utilizing the idea of exploration, she tells a story about a lot of different types of things, economic status, life experiences, how our decisions shape our, our shape things, like the, the big ups and downs, the small ups and downs, like, all of those things are present in this movie, but it's not necessarily about any one of those things. It's just about exploration and and Chapin, you use the word adaptation. I think that's a great term for this movie. Um, yeah, and it's not it's not like Frances McDormand's character is perfect and she has no pain and no heartbreak and oh, things she's, aren't she's wrong. She's sort of like surprisingly uncharming in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah, and 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 like you you wonder why like you you feel for her but you also want her to make some commitments in life there's part of you that's just like pulling for her to stay with um you know any of the many people that have asked her to stay with her them along the way uh and, and sort of settle down like that's i think part of our human nature to say like yeah that seems like a pretty good situation why don't you do that but she just doesn't want to commit to anything because of the the pain of her past and the fact that she um, likes this sort of searching lifestyle. And again, it doesn't judge it, but it's not, you know, not everything's perfect with it. I, I also think something that's unique. I mean, obviously there's beautiful locations everywhere, but you know, we do live in a quite a beautiful and also diverse looking country. And this is one of the more, you know, they are in ver- many of the more beautiful places. And this article says, a reoccurring theme in Malik's work is the human encounters with nature are transformational, transcendent events. And I think, you know, I love Malik and, you know, he, he's been an inspiration to me. But I think, especially in his recent work, uh, A Hidden Life being an exception to this, is like, I don't really understand why Ben Affleck and what's her name are like wandering around in fields. Like these are normal suburban people. Like they don't frolic with cows, you know. Um <laughs> But but yeah. 
the the malicness in this movie, for lack of a better word, is important. Like you understand through the beauty of the imagery in this film, why how why does these people do this? Like, yeah, you're se- sleeping in a van and it's freezing out, but then you wake up in the morning and you've got this epic vista that the the camera lingers on and follows people through, and you just you you feel the sort of um the sort of like restorative properties that these people are feeling because of it. And you feel it just by watching it. You can't imagine being there and being around like-minded people. I'd like to know how so much of this movie was filmed at magic hour. It's like, I want to know how they filmed filmed for 20 minutes for like a hundred days, not only at magic hour, but how she filmed it in general. I mean, it must've been a very minimal crew. I mean, 25 people, these, these seemed like real places. They seemed like like real RV parks, and these parties were going on. And these like how they managed to sort of flow about with a very famous person and a camera yeah. crew, and sort of capture what they were able to capture. I I don't know how they did it. I wonder. Like there was part of me that wondered if they they snuck into an Amazon factory, <laughs> like. I, I, <laughs> I didn't know how Amazon ever let them film there. I, I, it's not like it's released on Prime. This is not a, a Amazon film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's not. It it doesn't make Amazon look bad. But they have to know that they have to be assured of that. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe they just liked her. Um, Joshua James Richards, Chapin, you mentioned him. He's the cinematographer for this movie. He is a Fixie nominee. Um for the rider. And I think a a lot of the same, um, commendations we gave him for that movie can be transferred over to this movie. I mean, we get caught up a little bit sometimes. Uh, and I think rightfully so on like, what is, what is good cinematography versus what is a good setting, you know, like the old broke back mountain. Exactly. Um, and I was, very specifically paying attention to that in this movie because I was like, I'm going to get caught in this trap here. It's very easy to like, these are beautiful sunsets, beautiful, uh, beautiful areas, beautiful settings. But some of the, like some, like there's some long, really, really nice tracking shots that are telling you a lot. You know, we've talked before about wanting, wanting uh, the camera to be telling a story as well. And, as Francis McDormand is kind of like walking through these trailer parks and you see these people in the background, it's just what you were saying, Chapin, you see the appeal in that shot. And I think if we're cutting around to each individual character, like saying, Oh, like, Oh, let me look over there. There's some people doing this. There's some people doing this. It's not as effective. Right. I think the, the pacing and kind of this, the meditative quality that this movie has that is also aided by, I think a beautiful score Beautiful is sort of a is just a, another piece of this, like just amazingly beautiful puzzle. Yeah, I think specifically the photography. You know, if you look at Malick's work specifically in the Tree of Life, and and now I'm thinking of A Hidden Life as well. And I'm sorry to get a little technical here, but they use a, a deep stop, so a deep focus, and so that 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 puts every that puts a lot of stuff in focus. So your 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 character is sitting in the foreground and you've got a peak in the background and they're all for the most part, pretty sharp. But in this film, I mean, they do a little bit of that, but they use shallow depth of field to separate their characters from their, from the background. And it's done in a way, it's sort of the perfect stop where you can still see everything clearly. It's not too blurry. It's not too shallow, but it's out of focus enough to separate them. And I think the way Chloe Zhao uses that and how selective she can be with that really is is powerful because you know you've got these big vistas and you understand that and it's it's great and the what you just described Lee but also when you need those character moments when you need to set to pull Francis McDormand out of mm-hmm. those situations they can do that with this shallow depth of field so what did uh when I say this phrase what does it mean to you guys in in relation to this movie and did it have as much of an impact sort of on you as it did on me See you down the road. Uh, just in terms of running into people again and like... Just the, the overall sort of getting back at my point of 
of what was the point of this movie, and I, that sounds bad in that way, but like, what did this movie mean to you specifically? Um, well, did, did you really answer that question, your own question about that yet? I didn't because I'm sort of searching a little bit, but I think this is part of it. Um, I think part of what this means to me is that we're all sort of on a constant journey. Um, I, you know, that maybe it's okay not to have sort of a, um, a resolution on all aspects of life and mm-hmm. that down the road is, is, is still part of, you know, the life we'd live when you, the aspect of the future. When you say that to me, my mind immediately went to the sort of formalities of a, and I think the, the gentleman who's in charge of the, or not in charge of, but is sort of the, the, the leader of the nomad people that he kind of, he's the, like a teacher kind of guru. I think he says this is, you know, there's like a formality of saying goodbye. You know, we say hello, goodbye. You know, we, you know, the three of us, we try to get together once a year, you know, we're friends across the, the coast, but like, uh, these people, they don't, they don't, they don't play by the conventional rules, right? And 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 so, you know, when you leave somebody that you care about, like, yeah, you, you it would be great to go stay with handsome David Straheran in a beautiful farm on you know in Northern California, but like, you know, you may you may meet somebody else. You know, like you're down the road. You're yeah. You're 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 you're, you're, you're we, you know we don't subscribe to the formalities of society. We're not people who, who you know live the normal way, and so we're not gonna say goodbye in the same way, and we're not gonna have funerals. We're not gonna have we're not gonna do these things that that may you know that aren't conducive to our nomadic lifestyle. I, I like the randomness that. Yeah, is that's in that. great. Yeah, just because you know, there's, there's she, she has some like random run-ins at at first with David Strahan's character. She meets him and then she sees him again much later, and they eventually become friends and like they become a little bit more. The their relationships becomes a little bit more pivotal, 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 pivotal to <laughs> to the movie. But she also like lends this guy a cigarette for two minutes in the movie and then meets him later in the movie, just like somewhere down the line. And I, I don't know. I just kind of liked the idea of like, just what you said, like partly the, the, the lack of formality and the hellos and goodbyes, but also just like these people just leave because, you know, they, they are living a life where they feel like they will just see each other again. Like it's right. And I think, the human connection piece obviously is, is very relevant in this movie right now. We're all kind of longing for that. We've all been, you know, in our own pods for a year now. Um, and I think watching kind of a unique way that people connect and interact with each other is, would be, would be great at this point. Any kind of connection or interaction with, with people looks great, but the randomness of it, I thought was really unique and interesting to watch. And, and again, something maybe that's a little out of our comfort zone, but is never judgmental of that either. Like, and and the characters aren't judgmental of each other, which is, I guess, there's a couple scenes where you know there's some people in her family, in Frances McDormand's family, that are a little judgmental or questioning of of what she's doing, and she gets in a little, relatively common family tiff, you know, with her brother-in-law or something like that about about you know the way of the world, but aside, but that you know there's not anything in this movie that's saying, Hey, like, you know, play by the rules. Like it's just allows itself to function in this like random nomadic way. (laughs) It reminds me a lot of into the wild. I thought about Um, that. Yeah. Because, but where, so the part about this, this lifestyle in, uh, nomad land that uh, sort of scares me is the aspect of the loneliness of it and that's the part I don't know if I could deal with whereas in Into the Wild it sort of directly um, uh, talks about the loneliness in that no matter what all these adventures are you have in your life it's, it, it, it means nothing if you're not sharing your life with someone or able to share you know, that time with somebody. And, 
I think it does address that in this, but it doesn't it doesn't sort of directly say that to you and and it doesn't judge the loneliness of it, but it definitely is there. And there's parts where you're just like there's that scene where Frances McDormand early on was by herself celebrating New Year's right. in the van <laughs> and you're just like oh man like there's definitely your your heart aches for that because you you know that's the loneliness that I don't think even she really particularly likes I mean um but yeah I don't know what do you what do you guys I, think about that I also that? thought of into the wild and I and I and I thought to my and that's a film I'm not totally convinced about uh, I like the book a lot and I think the movie as Lee pointed out a couple of weeks ago misinterprets the book quite a bit um, but I I think that it's more about the character really I mean it's they who's a little different I mean you know the, I think into the wild is a more sort of um, typical story that we know about like a young boy a young man you know trying to find himself and discover nature and this is like sort of a common um narrative that we know but this is a you know near retirement age older woman and it's a totally different story because of that and i think um i think that, that you know i mean i even think that they were probably even in similar locations as into the wild like i mean it's sort of the same type of people these people who kind of live out in you know out in in nature in a way and are are are, are nomadic as we've said but um I think this film is much more insightful and and subtle, but also in, like, you know, I don't know. I think this. I don't want this to turn into me shitting on into the wild the, the film, but um, I think it really has to do with the, the the character and the differences between her and the kind of arrogant youth that Chris McCandless was. And ultimately, the the, the 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 distinction between the book and the movie is that. John Krakauer turned on Chris McCandless by the end of the book and, and Sean Penn didn't. That's the distinction. And I think, I don't think Francis McDormand's character has any, you would never turn on her. At least, at least the way Fern is presented to us in the two hours of this running time of this movie. So that, that ties nicely to a question I have, which I think we'll loop back a little bit to what we're talking about to open this podcast. You know, something that, I think we all would agree is essential to a good movie many times is some kind of a character arc that a character needs to change. You know, we learned that from, from Robert McKee in adaptation that your characters must, must change. Um, and, and that may not always be true. And I'm wondering if this movie is an example of that. Do, do you guys feel that there is a character change that Frances McDormand evolves in this movie at yes. all? How so? I think her arc is acceptance. Her arc is an acceptance of a lifestyle she may not have chosen. And you see, you hear her talking about how she stayed in that house you know, when after her husband had died and she lost her job, you know, she stayed there and it probably hurt her financially and, and, and it, it prevented her from moving on with her life. But by the end of the film, she's accepted this new life. And that's not the sort of steepest arc we've seen in a movie. But, um, you know, like I mentioned, she's also a character, you know, probably closer to the end of of her life than the beginning of her life. So she is who she is, but her arc is finding her self, her new life and accepting it and, and putting, you know, realizing it and accepting it. You don't think she's that way at the beginning. She has that scene where she runs into, um, I think a family of some people she used to teach and, you know, the character says, I heard you're homeless. And she says, no, I'm not homeless. I'm houseless. Right. Not the same thing. Right. Seems like yeah, she's I think, very understanding of the situation she's in. I, I think you're, you've got it switched, Chapin. I think she's accepting that her old life is gone by the end. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. Rather, rather than accepting her new life. Because I think she ex- has accepted it at the beginning. I mean, that's what she she it she's where she wants to be um but i think she still 
was holding on to the fact that that old life was out there, maybe somewhere. And I think the end, she sort of accepts that it's no longer. Yeah, she goes back to her her old house. Right, the Empire, and then starts walking empty. into yeah. the, the vastness, which is, you know, I think her just going back to being a nomad. I could have just watched that last shot with that music and the van driving away. I could have just kept watching that. Like that, that could have gone on for yeah. There was something very therapeutic just, about this movie the as score, well. The score is just like is so moving. It's like the score, I, the cinematography, watching the people interact with each other was therapeutic. Just it, it just sort of hit you in laps and waves. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I'm sure they made this before the pandemic, but you can you sort of you, you can you can kind of see a, f- a future. Uh, a COVID future where we're like these people, you know, like meeting outside and, you know, relying on all these resources and I don't know. It, I was, it works. I, I did think at the beginning, I was just like, man, how is, how is the pandemic impacting these types of communities? This movie takes place in, I think it's like 2012, 2013. Um, it's a relatively, you know, timeless movie. It's only based in that time because they refer to the, when the, the factory in Empire Nevada closed. It's pretty much shut down the entire town. But um, I was yeah, thinking and, at the beginning, I was just like, man, do, this, how do you, how would they handle a pandemic? You also get glimpses in the timeline of where we are. Like she goes to see like it, the Avengers. Oh yeah, uh, at was, one yeah. point I, saw, um, I remember that. Right. Yeah. yeah, and now she's directing a Marvel movie, which will be interesting. Chloe Zhao, yeah, yeah. yeah. But only uh, real people, no actors. Right. She she yeah. went and met some gods yeah. and said, "Oh, tell me about your story." <laughs> yeah. And then she wrote yeah. wrote a movie about wrote, them. jotted down yeah. a couple notes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I also wouldn't. I also thinking about this life. I think what it would be one of the big barriers is, is shitting in a bucket. Yeah, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I would need like there's. I would need some sort of plumbing on the RV. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I think that see, would I'm be a little the, more, that's my right barrier. Now, Miles has only just recently moved from like his little toddler potty to a little uh, stool and thing on the, the real toilet. So I had spent, you know, a good amount of time, several months, basically taking what is the equivalent of a bucket and emptying that out after he uh, does Miles, what a nomad. So... <laughs> so. So I'm sort of so to me it was just it didn't seem as bad. I just like you know empty a bucket, rinse it out, put it back. Seems fine. Ugh, that's the part of no thanks. I did this movie did prove that women can pee outside though. So oh, I want to ask you guys this question. So there was an early early shot where Francis McDormand's peeing outside by a fence, and the the angle of the shot and the fence look exactly like where they hid the money in Fargo. Like exactly, and I couldn't find any trivia on it. Wait, like this, if they oh, did sorry, it on I didn't purpose. Know, I didn't know we were doing Lee's coincidences. What section. a coincidence! Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think this was done very much on purpose. It wasn't no. a coincidence. <laughs> like the like the exact same pole she was peeing on is where they hid the the money in Fargo. There's just no yeah. snow. Where if someone, anyone knows, where some if woman this went is true, and died in real yeah. life. So she peed on the body. Well, she didn't. She didn't die there because she didn't find the money because it was never there. Right. <laughs> but didn't, uh, it, didn't she like just get like hypothermia yeah, and yeah. die looking yeah. for the money? All because the Cohen said this is a true story. <laughs> They're gonna be held criminally liable for. <laughs> I feel like we we've talked around how good Francis McDormand was in this, but. I mean, is there anything else we can say? Uh, you know, her, yeah, her naturalistic I mean, we, performance, Lee and I talked blending about, into uh, about Kate Winslet on Ammonite, and I, you know, I I like Frances McDormand. I I don't think Marge Gunderson is like the greatest performance ever. I think she's good in, at that role, but um, no, she oh, she I do think it's one of the greatest. She's it's great, but she's a, I mean, she's amazing. She's I think fabulous. one of her best performances in Almost Famous. Jeremy, you you meant you talked about Frances McDormand is like like sort of like pulling back her acting in order to blend in here. And like, yeah, I mean, that's not 
wrong. It's just I think it's just it's just such a immersive performance. She just like embodied this character completely. Yeah. And as a I'm result, I'm not saying pulling it back is in it's easier that way. I feel like it's way more difficult to do what she did. Oh yeah. Right, but I think by you know whether it's a you know whether she, whatever her method is to prepare for this this role by immersing herself in this world in this character i it made it look easy for her to blend in and communicate with these people who really live this way and you know this is a ton of credit to her for the, a lot of the same reasons you know we we're giving Chloe Zhao credit for capturing this like she yeah, found what she was like you said Jeremy one of the three prongs that needed to work together you know if she's outshining any aspect of this movie then uh then it doesn't work and you know on that note i i think david strahan pulled off the same thing in this movie yeah i, 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 I agree was, i mean i don't think he was, was really as good. good as francis mcdormand but i he yeah he was also good I and mean, he has that kind of like energy already so and he has like such a timing with his delivery that i find like just really really good like the, the when he when he drops the box that and breaks the plate yeah and she like yells at him and he he kind of just like pauses and then says you don't have to shout like it's such a like just like perfectly timed line delivery and I, it seems like a weird thing to fixate on but i'm like no i know what you mean I, I really liked him in this movie um i thought he pulled off a lot of the kind of same immersiveness that that she did you know and you know especially for us like those are both two actors that we know from very different types of roles. Like you mentioned Marge Gunderson and like Pierce Patchett. And like the, these are, these are actors we've seen in very different types of roles and they're recognizable faces and they were completely immersed in this world. And you never thought twice about them being Francis McDormand, and David Strahan. Yeah. I, I just think she does like the little things better than he does. Definitely, I, I think she That's adds. True. Yeah. I mean, she yeah. adds moments that feel so in in touch with the the same thing that the other people are sort of doing. I could think of one specifically. It's like she's she's with one of the older women in her van, and she's showing her like this this um, drawer she added oh, yeah. to How the. Yeah, and she just folded it down. She just hit it. She's like, see, more counter space. And also like, something, oh. Jeremy, that we would have done with our Oh, we would have had RV. plenty of counter space. Don't worry. But <laughs> but it's just like those little interactions that she's just, uh, she was so good at in this film. And like, she's like, oh, do we clean the, do I clean the whole wall or do I just clean the silver thing? And it's yeah. like, I don't know. Those, those little yeah, things. Really good. That just made her, I mean, she's like her writing feel the movie. part of it. Really, I mean, you know, like that that yeah. stuff is shapes her character in a way that probably wasn't in the script, and I think that's part well, if you of the think about process. it. She's that's because she's probably side by side with the other person that really works there, learning how to do the job. Yeah. So it's a natural question to ask, and like that stuff to just not. This goes. This is the perfect way to like you know, to wrap it back around. Like that stuff should not work in a movie. It's not supposed to work that way. You're not supposed to like go to set and say action and then france mcdormand has to ask the the her her scene partner what her character is supposed to do but it just plays so naturally <laughs> it, like, it works like it's, yeah it and, is sort of a, a amazing that this this entire thing was able to be pulled off yeah it, it is but i'm also i i had to say i'm i'm not surprised to see that chloe Zhao was able to make this jump because I was blown away by how good of the performances and the authenticity of all, all everything that went on in the rider. And that was a, that's a good movie. And it's like, it's basically, it, it's a little different than this. And it's, it's telling a more, more specific story about this character named Brady Jandro, Jandro, I think is how you say his name, who had a, um, an accident and a head injury at a rodeo. And she basically makes a movie about the aftermath that he already lived through. And it's just amazingly authentic in every way that 1517 to Paris isn't, with directed by Clint Eastwood, who is, you know, a, a director that, you know, for many years we've admired quite a bit. And here is just like the next step up f from that. It's just doing more of it and doing it better. 
Okay. Um, Lee. Yeah. The fixies are in 43 days. 45 days? Oh, I thought it was 43. It's just. Don't you have a uh, thing in front of the, you? Yeah, sorry. Countdown I mean, here. We all know. Start that, often... start that over. Because it was really dramatic, okay. but then you said it wrong. So, Jeremy, who's never even looked at the document. Um, <laughs> Looking right at it. Lee, the fixies are in 45 days. We're counting down. Um, why don't That's we right. talk to the audience about when will that be in, in, in terms that are, <laughs> that are, is it a countdown what, that, you know, not everybody has access to the, time, to the, to the beautiful spreadsheet you've made. So what is the actual date? It's in April, isn't it? April 10th, April 10th, which is a Saturday. We'll, re- we'll be recording, um, what I expect to be both parts of the fixies right. and they'll be released shortly thereafter. So you're probably looking at like anywhere from the, t- the 10th to the, you know, the 20th right. to have both episodes available to you. So, yeah, um, um, of April. you have 45 days to catch up on all the potential stuff. We've talked about a lot of movies already, um, but I just want to encourage you and we'll give this message a couple times because not everybody's going to listen to every podcast. But, um, you know, we, we want to hear from you and, and it may not be in the traditional way of, you know, what were your top movies or um all that, but if you had a if you had a great experience with a movie this year, um, send that in. If you, there was a movie you didn't like, send it in. Send us a voice memo, and you know maybe send us a voice memo about what you've missed about going to the movies, like something specific, a specific memory you want to share. That would be fantastic, and uh, we will air it during the fixies as we did on the two episodes last year. I have a quick question for you guys. Um, there's there's nothing revealing on this spreadsheet in terms of what our nominations will be we obviously even keep that secret from each other mm. um mm. should we perhaps post a screenshot of this on instagram or something so people can see the list of movies that we are watching and ha- plan to watch and have watched and i think so where they sure. where they can find them um on streaming services and running times all the same information that we have here yeah, or or even uh, cut it down a little bit and do um, ones like get rid of the hillbilly elegies and the Wonder Woman eighty fours and the ones where we know aren't going to be part of fixes. Right. If we want to get people prepared and ready for fixes, he just wants season. more people to see his spreadsheet. It's sick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good spreadsheet. <laughs> we should let everybody. I spent like uh, we had it, and it was very very usable. So perfectly serviceable and then I spent pretty much the length of what would have been another f- movie I could have checked off the list that's okay uh, adding some conditional formatting and some color coding and some more check boxes and some countdowns and maybe you don't want to post it I don't know if you want anyone from your work looking at it and go this is what this guy does all day uh, they're going to be like oh I need a spreadsheet done for this wine <laughs> I'll pay a thousand dollars Wow. Something, something like that, I'm sure, is how it will go. Um, all right, and on the topic of, of movies on this list, we're going um, to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah tomorrow, guys. I've got to watch it again tonight. Jesus. I don't, I don't know when, uh, when all these podcasts are going to get released, but in terms of when we record them. Oh, Chapin can't watch. Chapin can't watch Judas and the Black Messiah and, and, and edit and this Chapin, podcast. And Chapin, by watch it again, do you mean for the first time according to this spreadsheet? Well, I, I didn't. I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. Yeah, I've been I've been mm. squeezing. Um, well, you know, my power was out for a week, so. Oh, my power was out. Then I had a business meeting, and I was forty minutes late for the podcast. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. I'm not really buying that. Um, I mean, yeah, who would have a meeting at, after five? I, I know, I know, you're wrapped up by about one thirty. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of things that I don't want my work, <laughs> and that's also not true. Lydia said, uh, "Said Jeremy and I have photo of Lee looking at me on the spreadsheet. He had a glass of wine, and it was like four thirty Eastern." Yeah, time. he was also yeah. de- that was definitely not home. his first glass of wine either. Yeah. Looking at that picture. It was several yeah, well, in. Uh, you know. He was all bundled up at 4.45 in the afternoon. <laughs> I drink work for wine. I got to prepare for the next day. Yep, you, yep. you drink work for wine? I drink wine for work. There you go. Switch it. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. 
All right. Well, that's going to do right, it for Jayden, this edition of the that. Get Your Film Fix podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Join us tomorrow for another fixie uh, potential film in Judas and the Black Messiah, available to pretty much everybody who's got HBO Max. Um, we literally everybody who has HBO everybody Max. who has HBO Max can watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, watch it and enjoy, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you very much. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.